as Stephen mentioned, uh, we're in a short series on what it means to be a community, a Christian community that God brings together. And uh, we've taken a couple times uh, this year, the first of the year, we focused on prayer. And as we go into this, recognizing that, you know, we all want to experience the life of Christ in our lives. Yet we all struggle to do that. And we think one of the, the ways that we experience more of that is to begin to live consistently the lifestyle of Jesus. Then we will begin to experience the life of Jesus. And as we looked through the New Testament, we saw two practices that were really primary in Jesus' life. And that first one was prayer, spending time with the Lord, his Father, alone, right? Oftentimes you'll see in the Gospels that Jesus goes out to a solitary place to be with his Father, to connect, to be encouraged, to be kind of brought into that awareness that I'm your son, and then he moves back from that place. He doesn't stay out in the desert, but he moves back to be with his people, his community, this group of people. And we looked last week at how Jesus was from a strong group culture, a group culture where family is really, really significant. And Jesus didn't totally overthrow that, but the way he defined family was going to be new and radical for those people in that culture. Because remember the story, his mother and his brother are outside and they're saying, Jesus, come out. And Jesus is like, who are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters? It's those sitting around me that are interested in following God and doing his will. And, and that doesn't sound so weird to us because we don't have those close family loyalty ties so much in our culture. Um, there's a Dutch guy, uh, Gert Stephenson, that uh, has studied cultures all over the world. He was hired by IBM and he studied 70 different cultures in the world. And he rated them on six different kind of axes and he met and got this massive database. But one of the, the things that he looked at was individualism versus kind of a corporate view of culture. And he studied 70 countries. Do you know what country rated the highest for individualism? The United States of America, followed closely by Australia and then by the UK. The country that rated highest in terms of group cohesion was the country of Guatemala and several other Central American countries. But I read that study and you know you look at that and you realize, wow, baked into it, this is what, Independence Day, right? We are all about being independent as people in this country. And it's kind of baked into our bones. And I don't think we even realize how strongly we have this individualistic spirit that is in us. I know it's strongly in me. I'd much rather try to do a project by myself, fall flat on my face, than ask somebody for help because I can do it on my own, right? Because I'm supposed to be, you know, this is dating myself with the John Wayne that comes in and just takes care of everything. And the reality is that that kind of mentality is really counterproductive if we were gonna function as a community of believers. And we looked at that whole analogy that uh, is in the New Testament last week of the community of believers being a family. And for the first apostles, the, the question was, is my loyalty more with my biological family or my family in Christ with my brothers and sisters? And Jesus is saying, 
Your loyalty needs to be with your spiritual family. That takes precedence over your biological family. And that would have been sounding crazy to that culture, right? And you see the disciples are saying, Jesus, we've left a lot of stuff to follow you. You know, how's it going to go with us? And he says, folks, I know you've left your family, some of you. But in this life, you're going to have more brothers and sisters and families and fields because what? You're becoming part of now this big family of believers. So you are in one sense, if your family says no, Jesus, you're going to have to say yes, Jesus, and that loyalty has to break. But I think in our culture, our loyalty is not so much to our family. Most of us, you know, when I got 18, went off to college, you know, family, it's still there, but it's not that big a deal. I didn't consult them that much in terms of who I was going to marry, what job I was going to do, all of those kind of things where I'm, I'm an individual. So I think our loyalty is tested when we're looking at this community of believers, not so much with our biological families, but our loyalty is tested when Jesus says, you need to be more committed to me and to your brothers and sisters than to yourself. Because that's our culture, right? It all revolves around me. And that's what we looked at last week, that family loyalty to the family of God, with Jesus as the head and our brothers and sisters as our primary loyalty. But this week, I want to look at another analogy that's given in the New Testament of the community of Christians, and that's as a body. Imagine kind of a dystopian future. We're in an authoritarian kind of fascist government using CRISPR and gene splicing technology. It is going to design perfect human beings. Kind of like the Third Reich tribe with the Lebensborn movement, that we're going to develop the perfect human being. And this is in the future, and so gene splicing and CRISPR technology is so great that they're able to incorporate octopi DNA into human DNA, and they've got these little embryos in the lab that they can produce people with eight arms. It's amazing, right? These, but one of the downsides to this is that when you gain something, something else has to diminish because the structural integrity of bones and the energy capacity of a human being can only support so much, so they realize this. There's piles of corpse, corpses out back that didn't go so well and where they tried to do multiple additions, but they've recognized we can do this, and so there's a whole group of people with eight arms. And imagine a musician like Paul with eight arms, and he's got four different guitars going, he's got lead, bass, and he's shredding in so many different ways. Yet they found as they moved forward with this, that man, you know, we can get people with incredible hearing. The creature, and this surprised me, with the best hearing in the world today is a moth. And the moth has developed this incredible sense of hearing and echolocation because its primary predator is the bat, which is the second best hearing in the world. And the bat emits these high-frequency signals, and it bounces off the moth, and it can locate the moth. But you know what? The moth has developed by God's grace in all of this? An ability, basically, to send out high-frequency things that basically jam the radar of the bat. That's amazing. But anyhow, okay, so this government realizes, man, we can bring moth DNA into these people, and they'll have this incredible ability to hear. And then... It's like, wow, we can bring cheetah DNA into people, and we can get them with five or six legs, and they'll be able to run faster than Zach and Leah, and they'll be able to just go and go and go, and it's amazing. 
And as they developed all of these, quote, human beings, they realized something, that they all tended to segregate. The octopi people hung out with the octopi people. The six-legged cheetah people hung out with the six-legged cheetah people. The people with incredible hearing were like, man, everybody else is just way too noisy. I can hear what's going on from a distance, and I don't even need to get involved. And some humans that developed this incredible nose capacity were like, man, I'm staying away from the people with eight arms. That's eight armpits, and, and you just got to keep your distance from those folks, right? Amen. <laughs> Brian, I got deodorant recommendation from you afterwards. But anyhow, the reality is, I think in some ways, that's how the church has functioned, right? We all look at our individual thing and we think, man, that's the thing that's most important. And if we, in our heads, what is the design, the ideal church going to be like? And it's probably for all of us some, should I say, monstrous or grotesque body. It's maybe a massive cranium where we have all this theological knowledge and insight and we can bring down any argument that's counter to God. Or we may be people with a bunch of hands that are, are serving and helping and, and just totally involved with the people of the community. We may be people with three or four mouths and, and we are constantly sharing the word of God or praising God, yet we tend to segregate into our own separate little groups instead of functioning in the balanced way that God has for us as the body of Christ. I'm going to look at three passages briefly this morning, and I'm not going to do a deep dive exegetically into these passages. This is kind of a look at the forest, not a detailed look at the trees this morning like we often do. But uh, there's three passages, Romans 12, 3 through 8, if you want to write these down, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And in all those passages and several more, the church, the community of God's people, is referred to as a, a body, the body of Christ. And so, to me, the focus of the family was that our loyalty to the family of God needs to be supreme in our lives. And to me, the focus here of the body is that we are called to be interdependent, not independent. And like I mentioned before, that is going to be radically challenging for us in this culture because we're just not used to operating like that. If we're going to be a healthy body, a healthy community, each and every one of us needs to play our part. And I find this in 1 Corinthians 12. Starting in verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, and all are members of the body, though many are, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. 
That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Try to live without a liver for a little while. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. So regardless of your role, regardless of the gifts that God has given you, and even whether you like the gifts that God has given you, he's calling you to be an integral part of the body. That all of us are indispensable if the body is going to be healthy and function as a true community like God wants us to function in this way. And I see in this passage two things to realize. First, you're not the goat of the church. What do I mean by that? Goat. G-O-A-T. What is that? Greatest of all time, right? Michael Jordan. You know, indisputable in basketball. I'm from Chicago, so it's just the reality, right? <laughs> but the reality is, Paul is saying here, you can't say to some other member of the body, hey, I don't need you because I've got everything I need. I'm the goat here. And you know, often in the body, the biggest goats are the ones that think they're the biggest goats. They're standing right where I stand. <laughs> That's a sheep, not a goat. <laughs> so the reality is that we need to recognize, you know, we need one another. Yes, we are called to a body, but we are all indispensable to that body. And there's not one that says, you know, because I talk a lot, I'm really super, super important. You know what? The body can function without talking. But those parts that are internal, indispensable, we talked about Phil Leshkin in that motorcycle accident, and one of the things that they were concerned about was internal organ damage, and thankfully he didn't have any of that. But he was scraped up on the outside, but that, no, that's not the big deal. It's the stuff that's not seen that can be really, really fatal in these kind of wrecks. And so Paul wants us to know that, you know what, there's no place for conceit in that God has given his gifts as he wills to the body. And if you've got a speaking gift, great. Use that to his glory. But don't think you're any better than those with serving gifts. If Daddy and Grace hadn't set up all the tables over there this morning, we would not be sitting anywhere for pizza. If Patty hadn't ordered the pizza, we wouldn't have pizza, right? If people hadn't given so that we could buy the pizza from Domino's, we would not have the pizza this morning. We're all functioning together. And so there's no place for, hey, I don't need you because... I'm gifted in this way. The second thing, 
you're not the goat in the church. Didn't you just say that? Well, when I was growing up, and this is shows you how language changes over time, someone is a goat that you don't really want them on your team. And I think that came from the, the scapegoat. Get that person out of here. That guy's the goat. We don't want that, that, that guy on our team. And that's where some people are saying, you know what, because I don't have this gift or that gift, then I'm just, I may, you know, just going to go away. And Paul is saying, just because you're not this, don't say that you're not important. Because every part of the body is indispensable. Every little part. This knuckle joint on my first finger I was washing a knife right before we left for vacation and sliced right through there. I'm like, oh, my whole body is feeling this right now. I'm not liking this, you know? It's like, oh, I don't want to go to the ER, so we got some of that super glue stuff and, and put it together, and it's working pretty good other than the inside that's not quite healed yet. But the reality is my whole body was saying, wow, this little part of my body, it's really, really, really important. And if that's not functioning well, the whole body is not going to be functioning well. So I don't know what your gifts are here this morning, and we tend to put those in a spiritual priority of this is more important than, than the other, and we often use, well, how much of a difference am I making? And if I can quantify that, then I'm more important, but I just don't think God looks at things like that. Let me ask you, who is more spiritual, Jonah or Jeremiah? Who had the greatest impact and turnaround in people's lives? Jonah, right? Jonah, the last thing he wanted to do was go and preach. And he went and preached, preached, and he said, this town's going down, and the whole city repents, and is like, wow. And God says to Jeremiah at the beginning of your ministry, hey, Jeremiah, sorry, nobody's going to really listen to you your whole ministry, but I'm with you. Who is more faithful? Jeremiah. And you get to the end of Jonah, and Jonah is still pouting. He said, I knew this was the kind of God you were. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. I want you to torch these people, and you, you allow them to repent. <coughs> which is more mature in a Christ-like attitude than Jeremiah. So even if God isn't making a huge splash through you, it's really important. Eric and I were talking this week of the guy that led the Moody to the Lord. He was just a shoe salesman. Probably, oh, just a shoe salesman. I got nothing. The guy comes in and he shares the gospel and the guy comes to Christ and then thousands come to Christ through his ministry. And the reality is, we don't know how God is going to use us in the body. But we are important. So let me ask you a question. Do you value your brothers and sisters that are sitting around you? It's like, I'm in here, out of here, I, I'm pretty good, you know. I got my Christian podcast, I can kind of do this Christian life on my own. And as I look at scripture, it's like, no, it will not function well if we have that attitude. But that's kind of ingrained in us in this super individualistic culture, right? I'm just going to do this thing on my own. And I love all that technology, and I listen to a bunch of podcasts every week, but if I'm not connected with real people in the real church, then I'm missing out on something really, really important. Because you've been gifted in a way that I need, and I've been gifted in a way that you need. And when we disconnect from one another, we are not the body and how it's supposed to function as the community of believers. Let me ask you another question. Are you a spectator or are you a participant? It's real easy to be a spectator. 
And I think a lot of modern churches are geared towards spectator mentality. Go in, and it's like, well, was the church good? Well, yeah, they had music I liked, and this I liked, but they didn't have that, so I'm going there, and I'm going to try that place until I get to the place where I can just sit down, and everything just comes to me, and man, this is my church. And that church doesn't do this, or this church doesn't do that, and instead of maybe going in with that attitude, go into, God, I'm not seeing this happen in this church, and this is one of my heart's passions. How can I maybe develop that in the church? Maybe God is bringing me here because this body needs this particular gift and it will function better as a body if I participate in this way. And again, this is not kind of consistent with our individualistic thinking, right? It's all about I should get and instead of how can I give what I've been given by God to benefit the body. What can I do to make this body a healthier place? So first and foremost, we each and every one of us have to do our part in the body of Christ if we're going to function well as a body. Secondly, in looking at these passages, if we're going to be a healthy body or a healthy community, we need to be different from one another. We need to be different from one another. When I was studying for ministry, there was this thing called the homogeneous growth principle. And the idea was if you get people that are all alike, other people that are like them are going to come, and then your church will grow because everybody kind of is similar there. And, and, and that is true, right? The only problem is I don't think that's biblical. <laughs> because in Scripture, to me, we're supposed to have the older folks that are teaching the younger folks, and we need the younger folks in there giving us a kick in the rear, us older folks saying, get off your keister and do something out there. Let's get involved in this world, right? And if you have those that have more, quote, charismatic gifts, and they're like, oh, they're in those kind of churches, and people that really like the word, we're in these kind of churches, right? And so the people that are really about the word look at the charismatic church like, oh, that's crazy lack of doctrinal purity over there. What, what in the world is going on in the charismatics? Look at the doctrinal churches. Those places are dead as a doornail. What the heck's the matter with those people? And what's the problem? The problem is that God went all of us together. And when we function together, those that have gifts and teaching and doctrine can say, hey, you know, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but I think we're falling off the rails here theologically. And those that are gifted and more expressive and see God's work in powerful ways can say to those, yeah, God is, he not only spoke through this, but he still is working in the world today. Amen. I heard a teaching of a guy, and he was talking about a guy that came over from England and preached it. He pastors a church in New York, and there was a sister church. And in the morning, the guy from England just, he said to the church, hey, I just have this sense that there's somebody here that's it's really self-conscious about their smile. And he said, I know this is not a big deal, but it's just, I, you know. And that was the first service, and he said, nobody came forward. So he's like, okay. And so then he preached at this other guy's church in the afternoon, and he goes there, and he says, I'm going to share this again. Nothing happened in the morning. Maybe this is just crazy. But, you know, I just have this sense that there's somebody here that may be really self-conscious about their smile. It's keeping you at a distance from other people, not really engaging in relationships. And God just wants you to know that you're loved and you're accepted and you're valuable. And he said, some guy comes running up to the front of the church. He said, I was in that service this morning, and I knew I probably should go forward, but I just didn't want to. 
So I followed you across town and I said to God, if he talks about this again, I'm going to go forward. But the story doesn't stop there. The guy that was the pastor at the church, not the guest pastor, saw a woman come up that he was really close to for a time of prayer after all of this happened. And so he went and talked to her and he, she said to him, you know, this morning I came and I was ready to totally bail on God. I was ready to totally deconstruct my faith and be done with this Christianity stuff. But I realized that if the God of the universe cares enough to be concerned about somebody's self-consciousness about their smile, that is a God that I want to know. And that woman went on to start a prayer ministry in New York City. It was just amazing. So God, yes, he still can speak through us to other people. It's not just then, but it's now. And we need one another. And so often we divide according to all these different things. We're going to be different from one another. And there's challenges in that. In the beginning of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 4, this is what Paul says. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what is Paul saying? Some translations say there are varieties. I think the NIV says there's differences in gifts. So he's saying the gifts that you have, they're, they're very different. And my view on this is as we look at the passages on gifts in the New Testament, they're all different. So I don't think any of those passages are meant to be exhaustively listing all things. I think all of us probably have this unique gift mix that God has given us. And he's placed us in the world to use that gift mix. And that is the work, the text tells us, of the same spirit. The same spirit divides all these gifts out to the body. And sometimes we are challenged by those because someone with a more administrative gift may clash with someone that's got more of a faith gift. Or someone with a mercy gift may clash with someone that's got more of an edification and admonishment gift. And we're called to work together as a body. And he says there's varieties of service but the same Lord. The word there for service is the same word we get a word deacon from. It's, it's the area in which we serve. It's God gives me the gift. I'm not responsible for that. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he provides that arena, that avenue, where that gift is going to be expressed, how I'm going to serve in the body. So some of you may be called and given gifts that function outside of the body. You've been given the gift of evangelism. That's great. Your primary working should be outside of the doors of the church. That's wonderful. And that is a gift from God. And that area of service is an area of service that's been given from the God. Other, others are called to work inside of the church. That's your area of service. Others are called to work with adults. Some are called to work with kids. And some with the greatest gifting are called to work with junior hires. And that's all a gift of God, right? And then he says, and there are the varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. I don't like the ESV translating notion of activities there. The root of that word is the same word that's used for empower in there. To me, there's a variety of impact or empowerment in these various gifts, in these various areas of service. And to me, this has been really, really encouraging because it's so easy for us to compare ourselves outward, right? Wow, 
God's using this person more than me. And we can get down. And this passage lets me know the gift that I've been given, the area in which I'm using that gift, and the impact that that gift has, they're all sourced in one. The triune God. We have the Spirit, the Lord, and God the Father all involved in that process. So the question is not, ooh, how big is my impact? And I need to feel bad because, you know, when Luis Palau shares, everybody comes to Christ, and when I share, hardly anybody does. So it's like, well, maybe I've been given a different gift, and maybe God has a different impact for him for me. But you know what? Luis Palau's impact is based on the power of the Spirit, hopefully, because he's called him to a specific thing, and I'm not any better, and I'm not any worse, because God has gifted me differently and given me a different impact than someone like that. So that's been really helpful for me to grasp. Yes, I want to be faithful in what God has called me to do. He gives me the gift. He gives me the place to use that gift. And he gives me the impact of that gift. My responsibility is showing up. Right? Woody Allen's famous quote, you know, 95% of life is just showing up. Just showing up and saying, you know, and, it, and the reality is, you know, we, we talk about spiritual gifts and we think we we got to feel some supernatural zap when that happens. Like, oh, I'm feeling the spirit right now. <laughs> it's like, no, I think God gifts and we just do. You know, if your gift is service, you know, if you're cutting the, the lawn out here, I don't think you're, you're cutting it with this aura of, wow, I'm just in this place. And it's just amazing, you know. And, and it's just like, okay, God, you've given me this. Help me to use it for your purpose and for your plans. So are you comfortable with diversity and differences in the church? Or do you want uniformity? I don't like it because there are people that are different than me. And they think a little different than me on these issues. And, and I'd rather be with people that are just like me. Again, God is calling us to function as a body. And he's saying, you know what? If the body is all one thing, it's not going to work well. So we need to rejoice in the differences. <coughs> but though we're not to be uniform in our practices, we are to be uniform and unified in our purpose. Turn over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, if you would. We have a Bible with some of the seats around you. Paul's talking about the gifts of various people to the church, starting in verse 11 of chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what's the goal for us building one another up? It's to be like Jesus Christ, to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ as a body of believers. 
We are called to this common good of the use of our gifts. And we don't have time to talk about gifts this morning, but the reality is all gifts are given for what? The edification of the body. And that's, believers like to say it, it's like one of those big, what, is, what the heck does that mean? The edification, it's just an edifice, right? It's a building, so for the building up of the body. But, but what is the body to look, with, look like when it gets built up? It's to look like Jesus Christ. And how is that going to happen? It's interesting to me, almost all of these places that mention gifts, right in the heart of all that is this extreme call to love. First Corinthians 12 is talking about gifts, and then we get to the wedding chapter, right? And it's usually taken out of context, but it's right in the middle of talking about gifts in 12 and talking about the gift of tongues and prophecy in 14, and then right in the middle of it says, this is the best way, follow the way of love. Because you can speak in all sorts of tongues, you're just a clanging symbol. You can have incredible faith, but it's worthless without love. Paul tells Timothy, the goal of my instruction, why I teach, is love. That's the mark of Christ-likeness. All of us are to do our part in this body, but we can't function as a body if we're not doing that in love. We talked about, and we sung about the blessing of belonging in one of the songs. Isn't it? That's a beautiful thing. You recognize, you know what? I want you to belong here. And not just, yeah, punch my ticket on Sunday and I'm out, but no, belong to be part of this body of believers as we seek to become more like Christ. See, the idea of belonging is not just, oh man, I just want to go someplace where, you know, everybody knows my name. And it's just really good. <laughs> Six years of reference for this. <laughs> but anyhow, that, yeah, that's part of it. I want to go a place where there's love and acceptance, but we talked about this last week where Jesus said, I'm not condemning you, go and sin no more. We're called to help one another grow towards Christ-likeness. And that only functions when we operate and use all of our gifts with an attitude of love. How can I benefit you? What has God given me that I can give out to others? How can I be part of making this a stronger, healthier body of believers? We celebrate the Lord's table this morning. One of the things that Jesus said, you know what, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for men. So one of the marks of Christ's likeness in us is my attitude is not, what can I get out of this? What can I get out of this community? It's what can I give to this community? How can I serve this community? So if you're completely honest, what does your ideal church body look like? Is it a massive alien cranium? Is it the octopi arms where we're serving the poor and needy? Not talking about orthodoxy, but talking about orthopraxy, putting this stuff into practice. Does your body have three mouths to sing praises and worship and share the gospel? Maybe five hearts empathize with those that are hurting and provide comfort and encouragement. Or maybe it's got six legs to run to the far corners of the world as missionaries 
with the gospel. Our men tend knees to get down on and pray. You know what? All of those are really significant and really important things that the body does. But we're all called probably to be slightly different in that. And we've been given unique gifting, unique passions, and all of those when they're brought together to me is this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. Where it's not, I'm all about me and I'm independent. No, there's an interdependence. And when we're functioning together, the world looks at us and says, what in the world is going on? Those people are so different. They're gifted in so many different ways. But look at the love they have for one another. What in the world is going on? Because when we organize, it's all around something that brings us all together. The homogeneous unit principle. And it works. Yes, it does. But those people, they're so different. They're different racially. They're different economically. They're different. Some are Yankees. Some are Southerners. And we're all over the place, right? But God has called us what? To be one body, united under one head, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. So my prayer for us is that we'd be a body in balance. And that we would recognize how beautifully proportioned God's body is when we all play our own unique individual roles, functioning together interdependently to be a body that makes a difference in the world for the sake of his kingdom. I hope you want to be part of that as well.